Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue our study of the Psalms with Psalm 141, a Psalm of David. O Yahweh, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Yahweh, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant." As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O Yahweh my God, and you I seek refuge. Let me not be defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me, and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. This is the word of the Lord. Now, maybe a family conversation right off the bat here. Have you heard these words somewhere before? Do they sound familiar? And if you are part of a congregation that ever uses the service of evening prayer, then these words may have stuck out to you a little bit. Verses 1 through 4 and verse 8 have been used to compose a part of that liturgy. I don't know if it's word for word from a different translation than the current ESV translation is. It doesn't match word for word, but it's really close. So go ahead and Feel free to look back if you have your Bible with you at the words as I, I'll sing this, this part of our worship service from evening prayer. Let my prayer rise before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. O Lord, I call to you, come to me quickly, Hear my voice when I cry to you. Let my prayer rise before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch before my mouth, O Lord, and guard the door of my lips. Let not my heart incline to any evil thing. Let me not be occupied in wickedness with evil doers. But my eyes are turned to you, O God. In you I take refuge. Strip me not of my life. The congregation would then close it with the glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Followed by the refrain, verse 2, Let my prayer rise before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So it's a common enough used service, I think, 
uh, that maybe those words strike you as familiar. Um, they certainly do for me as I, I read this through. Um, I've been able to chant those and, and chant them together with the congregation, a blessing to sing God's word together in his house. So what are we singing? What are these words saying? At first, it's a prayer that God would hear our prayer. So David praying, hasten to me, come to me quickly, as we have it in the the service, when I call to you. So hear my prayer and answer, and don't delay, come right away. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So they would, in the temple, or the tabernacle before it, they would burn incense as an offering to the Lord, and the book of Revelation very clearly connects that with prayer, as David does here, that the smoke of the incense rises to the Lord, so David's prayers, like incense burning, ascend to the Lord. The lifting of my hands is a posture of prayer, as the evening sacrifice, there was a sacrifice every morning and every evening. So, again, evening sacrifice, David mentions, and we use this in the service of evening prayer, very well connected. Set a guard. So what is he praying for? Set a guard, O Yahweh, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Protect me from saying evil things. This is James, again, the epistle, as we've talked about in recent Psalms, where the tongue, even though it's such a small member, can cause great devastation and destruction. And so the prayer of David here is that our tongue, our our mouth, the things that we say, that the Lord would guard it so that we don't speak all the evil that our heart would want to. And then he prays even for that, that the Lord would prevent our heart from wanting to do evil. So kind of a step-by-step here. It's a good prayer. Um, as our hearts, our sinful natures want to do these things, but the new man that we have been created to be, the old Adam is being put to death daily, this new creature is not to do such things. And so we pray that the Lord would guide us, lead us, help us. So that's David's prayer here as well. Don't let David busy his life with wicked deeds. We certainly can, and perhaps sometimes we too. Not all things lead to life. Not all things point to Christ. Not all things serve and love our neighbor. Lord, safeguard us from these things. Do not allow us to participate in the works of evil, in the community in which we live. Let us be, as Matthew 5 declares, salt of the earth, light of the world, a city on a hill. Help us to live in such a way that our neighbors would see our good works instead of our evil deeds, and that they would give thanks to you for them. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16. That when others see our good deeds, they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. And 4b, not to let us be in company with men who do iniquity. Let us not eat of their delicacies. That would be to join them. Right? You sat down at their table. You are spending that time with them because we're weak. I'll say it first and foremost to myself. I believe that in the culture I live in, we have been raised, and I'll even say intentionally, I I won't point a finger at who necessarily the intention is of, but we have been intentionally raised to be addicted to everything. We have very little discernment 
And so when we find something we enjoy, it's just like, oh, I want more of that and more of that and more of that. Uh, the, the dopamine rushes or the endorphins in the brain. And over time, you need more and you need more of whatever that thing is. It could even be something innocent. Right? Not, every, not every addictive thing is evil. I'm not going to say it's necessarily evil that you you have a screen in your hand right now if you do. But it's certainly addictive, isn't it? It's hard to put it down. It's just a tool, though. Unlike other things like uh, perhaps drugs, pornography, those are some of the easier addiction targets. But again, I think we have been intentionally raised to focus on the firing off of these chemicals in our brains. And, and we're addictive to everything. And so when we join company with evildoers and we enjoy the the pleasures that they are getting to enjoy, we can become addicted to that too. And instead of being cautious of their evil, uh, we start to partake in it. We get caught in a trap. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. And I'm just going to pause there. Ask your kids the question, why? Why is it kind for a righteous man to strike you? Why is it oil for my head to be rebuked by a righteous man? This is another struggle today, but the scriptures actually do call this good. David calls it good right here. But here's 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy. He says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are to be iron sharpening iron within the church, within the body of Christ. I'm going to sin. And it is part of the task of being my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ that you would point me out on my sin, not in like a gloating and, and so forth kind of way, but that you would do so lovingly and say, you know, I, what you said the other day, that hurt. Um, that, that hurt me or it hurt somebody else. I, I think you should apologize. I think you should repent of that. And, and vice versa, right? As the church, we do this with one another. We call each other gently to repentance. We correct, we rebuke, we train. So that we would be complete, so that we can do good works, so that we can love our neighbor. David is recognizing that it is good for a righteous man to strike him. That can be a physical reference even to discipline, but also the striking with the word of his mouth. That is the next one, the rebuke. To correct one another, he recognizes it is good, lest he fall into a pit and, and stay there. I mean, this is Nathan coming to him after he's had the affair with Bathsheba. He tries to cover it up. He brings her husband home from war, tries to get him to go home and sleep with his wife so nobody will suspect anything. Everybody will just think, oh, it's her kid. Uriah, too upright for that, won't do it, won't go home doesn't think it's right for him to go sleep in the comfort of his home and with his wife when the rest of his men are out on the battlefield, their lives in danger. And so, having failed to cover up his treachery, David orders Uriah, essentially, 
killed on the battlefield. David is guilty of murder. And, you know, if he's not called out on this, if he's not corrected for this, his heart could continue to go in that direction. And the Lord sends Nathan the prophet, and he rebukes him. Really catching story. He gets David good. That's Second Samuel 12, tells him this real tearjerker sob story, and David gets so angry and upset on behalf of the wronged man in the account, not recognizing it's a story. I mean, it's basically a parable. David's going after him as though, I'm king, I'm judge. This man that did this thing deserves to die, and then Nathan turns it and says, you're the man. Second Samuel 12. David has lived this. It was a kindness when Nathan rebuked him so. Because it helps him not continue down that wicked path. All right. Other than this, David returns to the idea against evil here, that his prayer is against their evil deeds. And this prayer is going to go multiple ways. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, that seems like a random out-of-nowhere statement. Um, it's the picture of their champions being defeated. This seems to be that direction. So a judge can be what we think of, the one who decides right and wrong and, and how guilty somebody is or innocent. But biblically speaking, a judge can also be a military champion and a deliverer. That's what they are in the book of Judges. And that seems to be the most fitting idea here, that these champions, like Goliath to the Philistines, for example, when they're defeated, when they're overthrown, the people that they were ruling over may be open to hearing David's words, for his words are pleasant. David wants to speak of God. David sings the praise of the Lord who has done marvelous things. He wants others to hear it. But evil, evil men under an evil king, they're not so willing to listen. But maybe if their king is toppled and they're in turmoil, maybe then they'll hear. There is something possibly to that. The idea that if the Lord rebukes our enemy, the hardened heart person who wants nothing to do with God, if the Lord allows them to hit rock bottom, for everything in their life to fall apart and come undone, that maybe, just maybe, they'll be open to hearing the reason why you have hope. Everything seems so hopeless to them, but you, you're walking with hope. Why? What do you know, Christian? And then you get to share it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Be ready to share the reason for the hope that is in you. Verse 7 is when the plow breaks up the earth, farming picture, pretty straightforward, our bones will be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. So when you drag that thing through the dirt, clumps of dirt get busted up and they fly everywhere. Well, they move everywhere. They only go flying if you're using power tools, I suppose. But anyway, when we die, our bones are scattered. Death doesn't hold back. It's destructive and it hits everybody. It'll hit the believer and it'll hit the unbeliever. There's just a different outcome for both. So David recognizes the plight that his enemies are in, and he does want them to hear the pleasant word of Jesus. And then verse 8 was also included in the evening prayer hymn that I sang at the start. My eyes are turned to you, O God, Yahweh, my Lord. That's a picture of trust as a 
baby bird puts its eyes on mom, trust mom will provide, as a child puts their eyes on their parents, trusting that dad or mom will provide, we look to God. We know that he is the one who has all things good. He is the one that provides and cares for us. And so we turn to him for refuge, safety, defense against evil in this world, that he would deliver us, verse 9, from the trap that they have laid for me. And that goes back to the previous psalm that speaks a lot about God delivering us from evil traps that are laid against us. So deliver us, save us, and he does. David then prays that the Lord would basically turn evil against itself. Whatever they have plotted for David would instead befall them. Let them fall into their own traps while I pass by safely. That's a bit of Psalm 23's imagery again. Yea, though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Protect us from evil, O Lord, is the, the gist of this prayer. Evil within and evil without. So don't let me sin. Don't let my heart incline toward evil. Don't let the evil of this world overcome me. And the Lord indeed protects us from both. He is in us. He delights in us. He shares all that is good with us, delivering us from temptation and from the evil one as we pray in the Lord's Prayer.